Sir Desmond Sterling in the Tale-Tale Nipple, Episode 5 Well, this was an utter dog's breakfast and no mistake. My brain computed the next move. First thing we had to do was get the hell away from this blasted spook. Once I'd explained the situation to Frognall, he would realise that there was no way he could kill yours truly, his father-in-law, a national treasure. Or could he? The grasping toad had the whiff of aristocracy in his scent, and I doubted that anything would deter him from a title. Perhaps I ought to kill him first. No, no, my, my, my daughter would never forgive me. And besides, I'm too old to get banged up in chokey, particularly for offing a weed such as Frognall. Plus, I, I wouldn't want anyone thinking it was professional jealousy. The only writer who brought out the green iron old Sterling was darling Sven Hassel, even though I soon realised I could never scale the literary heights on which he'd planted a flag. It was at this point that I heard my mouth, which, I confess, has been known to act somewhat ahead of my brain, open, and the following words fall out of it. Actually, I think you'll find I'm the last of the pilchards. Hmm. Not the course of action that I would have chosen. Thank you very much, Mouth. Let's just hope you have something frightfully clever up your sleeve. Of course, I continued blithely, and I'll admit I was fascinated to know what I would come up with. Uh, seeing as how Frognall here is married to my daughter, any child he spawns will actually be perpetuating the pilchard line itself. Then by rights, he should do away with himself too. Just to be sure? Yes, that might work. Let's hope that Frognall wasn't daft enough to point out that Alison is actually my stepdaughter by one of my previous wives. I, I can't recall which one. But surely, began Frognall, before I clamped my hand over his bolshy cake hole. The ghost of Sir Jasper looked at the pair of us, his shark-like eyes revealing nothing. Then he proffered Frognall his sword. Here, prove you're a discordly. Smite the blackguard. Oh well, I'd had a good innings. And if it were true that one's life flashes before one's eyes prior to one's demise, then I was about to enjoy it all over again, and this time without any unpleasant consequences, apart from the inevitable death. I opened my shirt revealing my still manly chest, so unlike Frognall's feeble and overcrowded torso, closed my eyes and prepared myself to relive all the many roaring parties and equally roaring legovers. I'll admit that I was fascinated to see if Frognall could actually go through with it, for all his fiery left-wing blabbering, I'd long marked him down as a jelly-kneed wimp when it came to action, a Trattoria trot who rails against the establishment mainly because he's not invited to be part of it. Would he have the orchestras to actually do me in? Frognall 
gingerly accepted the tendered sword. He felt the tip of the weapon, flinching slightly at its sharpness. He licked his finger, which I thought was frightfully unhygienic. He practised a couple of feeble swipes in the air. Any hopes for a quick, clean death soon evaporated. This was going to be messy. Frognall was avoiding my eyes all the while. I wondered how he was going to explain my slaughter, not just to Plod, but to his wife. I think she's quite fond of her old pa in her own stony-faced way. Derrick, urged the phantom, his face made even ghastlier with bloodlust. Dispatch the swine! Frognall took a deep breath and raised the sword above his head. I closed my eyes and prepared to meet my maker, with whom I intended to have more than a few sharp words about the poor design of the prostate. I heard the swoosh of the sword as it sliced the air. Ow! came a loud cry. Bloody hell! I opened my eyes. Frognall's clumsy swipe of the sword had missed yours truly and sliced open the ghost's shirt, perforating the chest below. It was a superficial scratch, but blood trickled down. A ghost? Bleeding? Suspicions that had been coalescing in my mind coagulated into one almighty clot of an idea. I leapt forward and grabbed the spook by the shoulders. He was too, too solid flesh. I ripped off his wig, his hat, and then the beard, only to reveal... Snotty Gove! Snotty! I exclaimed, resisting the quite natural urge to slap the little tick. What on earth are you playing at? Frognall stared at Snotty. But that's my fan, he yelped, the one who gave me the pamphlet with the history of this club. I turned to Frognall, and don't think you've got away with nearly offing me either, young man. I guessed it was all a sham, spluttered Frognall. That's why I deliberately aimed the sword at him, and not you, Dad. Dad? Dad? Talk about adding insult to nearly an injury. But I deal with my ratty little son-in-law later. Snotty was the centre of my attention now. Clutching his scratch as though he'd lost a pound of flesh, the little twerp squealed like a baby pig. That he'd planned the whole plot for ages. That he wanted revenge for how I allegedly maltreated his father at school. Particularly the whole losing a leg thing, which was emphatically not my fault. Gove Major was quite within his rights to refuse to climb up on the school roof to plant the schoolboys for Mosley flag. But how else could he be punished for burning my toast? And how was I supposed to know that the tiles on a 300-year-old roof were loose? And I would have got away with it, bleated Snotty, if it hadn't been for you, you interfering pensioner. I must admit, I was grudgingly impressed with Snotty's scheme. The story, the research, the special effects, the hypnosis. That he knew all about Frognall's third man-boob and pathetic yearning for a title. 
I asked how he accomplished the vision I saw of Discorny's story. A Mickey Finney slipped into my whiskey flask, apparently, and some reasonably accomplished hypnotic suggestion, as I had accurately surmised beforehand. An extra flicker of suspicion occurred to me. Were you in on all this? I demanded of Frognall. He shook his head, and I could see from the bewildered, no shell-shocked expression on his eminently punchable face that he was telling the truth. That pamphlet about the history of the club, Frognall asked, did you make all that up too? Snotty shook his head. No, it's in the official history of the club. Sir Jasper was a real person. What about Scunthorpe? Was he in on your little scheme? I demanded of Snotty, who replied in the negative. Apparently the toothless retainer believes fervently in the ghost of the box room. Snotty got the whole story out of him one quiet evening, and it was his genuine terror that triggered off the whole wheeze in Snotty's devious little mind. We'll say no more about these shenanigans, Snotty, I declared. I won't press charges against either of you as long as I get to write the whole sorry saga up. You hear that, Frognall? This is my story. I was already mapping the book out in my head. I had contemplated making it the next in the Derrick Playfair mysteries, but perhaps it was finally time to put yours truly at the heart of the story. The flabbergasting exploits of Sir Desmond Sterling. Mm, no, sounds too much like a diet book. Although I wouldn't have admitted it to this dismal pair, my nerves were somewhat frazzled, and I felt in need of medication. Right, I clapped my hands. I deserve a drink or three, and it's your rounds, so let's wake up the bar staff and get blotto. Frognall scurried to the door, eager to be the first one out. Snotty scooped up his wig and sword and seemed to be about to say something. A clap of thunder roared overhead, so loud the room seemed to shake. The portrait of Sir Jasper de Scorny fell from the wall and a sharp gust of icy wind blew out all the candles. Then there was silence, broken only by Frognall's panicked shallow breathing. I retrieved the torch I had brought along as backup from my pocket and switched it on. Very clever, Snotty, but the joke is over now, I said, shining the beam onto his face. His pop eyes stared wildly, a greasy sheen of sweat reflecting my torchlight back at me. That wasn't me, he squeaked. <laughs> curdling chuckle filled the room, seeming to emanate from everywhere and nowhere in particular. I was staring at Snotty at the time, and unless he was a master ventriloquist as well as his other conjuring talents, then it definitely didn't issue from him. Before I could comment, Frognall and Snotty had hoisted their skirts and scarpered like the big girl's blouses they were. I gave a wry chuckle. Good night, Sir Jasper, I said. We'll leave you in peace now. I left the room and closed the door. As I walked away, I thought I heard something. You've not heard the last of me, Sir Desmond Sterling.
Sir Desmond Sterling, in The Tale Tale Nipple, was written and performed by Anthony Keach.